Logical, right. We want to go this morning to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 6. Gospel of Matthew, chapter 6. And reading from verse 31, uh, these are the words of Jesus himself. Therefore do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things shall be added to you. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, uh, Jesus is preaching to his disciples in what is commonly called uh, the Sermon on the Mount. It's a wonderful uh, passage to read. In fact, if there's any three chapters that we ought to read regularly, uh, these would be the three. Because in here we have got tremendous truths that Jesus is teaching. Chapter 5, for instance, he talks about the Beatitudes. Or as somebody called them, the beautiful attitudes. These are the attitudes that every believer needs to aspire to. Chapter 6, what we call the Lord's Prayer, which really is the model prayer for all believers. An answer to his disciples who wanted to know how to pray. Chapter 7, we have that great story of the wise man who built his house upon the rock and the foolish man who built his house upon sand and so forth, talking about two entirely different lifestyles. Then, of course, there are discourses on such things as divorce, on giving, having treasure in heaven, on stewardship, not being able to serve two masters, can't serve God and mammon, Jesus said, and of course, uh, again, persistence in prayer. He speaks about asking and seeking and knocking. Talks about casting her pearls before swine, about beams and motes and eyes, salt and light, going the extra mile. Talks about the broad way and the narrow way, good fruits and bad fruits, all kinds of things about reconciliation, teaching on not to worry. In fact, we just read a little part of that verse a moment ago. Having no anxious thoughts, not to be worried, sick about things, but to put our faith and trust in Christ and pray. Now, one of the rules of preaching, and it's not a hard and fast rule, but generally one of the rules in preaching is, is to choose a text that most illustrates the message that you're going to talk about. And so I searched in vain to try to find a better text because I didn't want the familiarity of the text uh, to ruin the force of what I want to say. But I could not find any other better verse to explain what I want to share this morning than Matthew 6, 33. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. Now, if we had been reading from verse 19, you'll see that Jesus was very well aware of his disciples concerning their basic needs, their everyday lives in this world. That's why, of course, Jesus was called the man Christ Jesus. 
His favorite title for himself was the Son of Man. And because he came as a human being, he was very well aware uh, of our daily needs living in this life. And so he knew and understood humanity and all of our needs. And in verse 33, Jesus then teaches several great lessons. And we want to look at these this morning. First of all, title of the message is the difference of a life that's lived in Christ. If we have a life that's lived in Christ, it will be radically different than others' lives around us. Be radically different than the life that we used to live before we met Christ. First of all, the perspective of our lives is very, very different. If we compare verse 32 and 33 about things, let me just read that again. For after all these things the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Whatever these things may be, no matter how legitimate these things are, and he's really talking here about basic needs, and yet... None of that is to be our chief concern. None of it. Even right down to what we eat, what we drink, what we wear. None of that, Jesus said, is to be our chief concern. He says we're not even to have an anxious thought about that. But he says seek first the kingdom of God. That is to be our chief concern. That's to be the perspective of our lives. In Luke 12, 15, Jesus says, A man's life does not consist in the abundance of things which he possesses. Well, you say, well, that's good, David, because I don't have an abundance of things. But that's why he talks here in Matthew 6 about the basic things. Because most of us has got at least the basic things. So... What is our perspective of things? For example, is your home an extension of God's kingdom? That's a thing, isn't it? Is your home an extension of God's kingdom? Is there some way that your home glorifies God? Now, over the years over these past, what, 34 years since we have pastored Sally and I, we have lost, literally have lost count of the people who have stayed in our home, who have slept in our beds, who have ate at our table. The ministry of hospitality is a very, very important thing in the kingdom of God. And somehow in the Western world, remember the Bible's an Eastern book written through Eastern eyes, but somehow in the Western world that we become very independent about our things, our stuff, and we forget that whatever God has given us is to be an extension. Yes, we can use it and be blessed by it, but it's to be an extension of God's kingdom. Example, if you go to a home group, every time you host a home group, your home at that moment is an extension of God's kingdom. The people of God come to your home and they sit 
they fellowship, they eat, they drink, they worship, they pray, we look at the word of God, and for that moment, for that hour and a half, your home is an extension of the kingdom of God. And it's wonderful to do that, to say, God, my house, no matter how much I love it and enjoy it, it's not just for me, it's for your kingdom and for your glory. How can I use this to bless others? Now, having traveled over many, many years, particularly in the early 80s when I went to the United States quite a lot, having traveled there a lot, most people, I have to say, are very friendly and very welcoming. And I have stayed in so many homes over there that, uh, again, I've lost count. But you get the odd one. And you go there, and there's not a welcome on the mat. They're hosting you because somebody has twisted their arm up their back. And as soon as you go over that door, you get that feeling, I'm here, but they wish I was somewhere else. Let me give you just uh, a little example. Now, our, our home group knows us because I shared this privately with them uh, over the years. I remember one time we, we had traveled down, another colleague and I, I think it was from Toronto to Chicago, Illinois, to Gary, Indiana, uh, all through Indiana where Tessa lives, uh, into Ohio, into Cincinnati, Ohio. And we were staying with this pastor and his wife, she was a school teacher. He was the pastor. And we were there for three or four nights. We're ministering in their church. And whenever we got there, even though they, they greeted us nicely, but the one thing we noticed was the house was absolutely perishing. This was in the middle of winter. And when we slept in the bed at night, our, literally our teeth were chattering. That was awful. And... And the morning came, she would go out to do her school. And he, about 10 o'clock, he would go and do whatever he was doing. We, we never knew, but he went out and stayed for a few hours and then came back around about lunchtime. So we figured this out. And what we did was, uh, in the morning time when, when she left, and then when he left, we got up and there was like iron gr grills all around the, the living room at the wall. And that's where the heat would come up. It was a very, very old kind of colonial style home. So we found out where the thermostat was in the heat and we turned that thing up. And we stood up against that wall. <sighs> and we thought out, it was great. And then we would, after a while we'd turn it off and then he would come back, lunchtime, have lunch. So we did that for a couple of mornings. I think it was about the third morning. He twigged on. And he drove away. And of course we got in, got the heat up. Oh, we're standing there, I guess here. And he drove around the block, and he came back into the house. He never said a word to us, not a word. He just went over, and he just switched the thermostat to not. Never spoke, and just walked out the door and drove off again. And of course, we, we hadn't got the cheek to do that again, like, you know. It was probably a bit cheeky in the first place, but boy, we were perishing. And so we got the impression, well, looking back on it, we were quite young then. We were probably a bit daft, I'm sure probably a little bit insensitive, probably the guy was having a rough time and maybe didn't have enough for heat anyway and he was conferring his heat. But it wasn't really the way to look after your guests. Sure it wasn't. And i uh, tell you a story about Sally and I one time because uh, we had lots of people stay with us. Uh, she doesn't know what's coming. 
but she'll say amen to it anyway because it's a true story. Uh, we had a, there's a group called The Living Sound. Anybody ever remember The Living Sound? Did that ring some bells, right? A few of these. It's a big, big group from all young people, all Bible students, great singers, great musicians, wonderful. There's about 20 something of them. And they came in this big bus and they were going all over England, everywhere. So anyway, there's a whole group of them stayed with us. Five or six of them staying with us. And we have only a three-bedroom bungalow, one bathroom. And when you get that for four or five days, it's close fellowship. You know what I mean? And so one of the nights, somebody had agreed to take our lot out somewhere. I don't know where, but we were just glad to get a few minutes peace and quiet just to ourselves because, I mean, it was really go, go, go all day. And so they left and we waved them bye-bye, closed the door, walking up the hallway where the bedrooms all were, Sal and I said, ah, oh, it's great to get rid of that lot for a while. I'll get the house to ourselves tonight. We're going to enjoy this. And just by that, a bedroom door opened and one of them walked out. He actually hadn't gone away that we didn't know. And we wondered, I wonder did she hear us? And we had the cheek to say anything or ask, you know. But dear helper, if she did hear us, that wouldn't be very welcoming. Sure it wouldn't. By the way, we must have looked after her well because she wanted to stay for weeks and weeks and weeks. Sally says to me, you talk to her. She can't stay for weeks, you know. <laughs> but anyway, is your home an extension of God's kingdom? Is your car an extension of God's kingdom? Do you use your car to bring anybody to church? Does that ever happen to you? Because that's what it's there for. If you'd have saw my car on Friday morning, it was bummed from the back door to the front seats to the roof, bummed with big plastic bags full of stuff for the container for the Philippines. And Sally and I was going shopping. And I says, Darren, we'll have to go up the Ballinahane Road. We have a couple of bags to pick, a couple of bags to pick up. And it bummed up the whole lot. And then we did our groceries. And we managed to get that squeezed in the back. And I says, we're not finished yet. We've got to go up to Carlisle Circus with some stuff to pick up from a big clinic there. And she ended up with stuff around her feet. Our car is used as an extension of God's kingdom. And that was only one thing this week. There was another time it was bunged as well this week. But that's what it's for, for God's kingdom. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. What about your job or your business or your career? How can that be used to extend God's kingdom? Has God prospered you in your job, your business, your career? Do you use some of that to extend God's kingdom? Are you generous with God's blessing? What about your marriage? What about your children? What about everything that you have? How do these things affect your zeal for the Lord? Do they swallow up all of your time and all of your energies? Or in your mind... Are they just something, God, how can I bless your kingdom through this? See, that's the difference between ownership and stewardship. In a sense, in a practical sense, we own it. God gives us it for us to bless us, to, for us to use. But technically speaking, actually speaking, it's stewardship. It's not really ours. And the fact is, we all know this, not one pick of it is going to go with us when we go. We come into this life empty hands and we'll go out with empty hands. Isn't that right? So while we've got it, we use it as an extension of God's kingdom.
So the perspective of our lives is very different. The priorities of our lives are different. But seek first the kingdom of God. The litmus test is what are my priorities? Is it first the kingdom of God and his righteousness? Several years ago, I got very friendly with a pastor from England. And uh, he was a very likable, amiable uh, guy, and we got very friendly. And uh, we would talk and we would share about things and life and general ministry, all those things. And then we discovered that both of us actually played a little golf. Now, I haven't played golf probably in three and four years. So this was a long, long time ago. And so we both discovered he played a little golf. And he said to me, how about meeting up on Monday mornings early, as soon as that thing opens? Um, we'll do nine holes, a quick nine holes, and by half ten or so, 11 at latest, we'll be finished. We'll have our day to do what we need to do, and we'll just have a little bit of fellowship. I thought, well, that was a good idea. We'll do that. And so we did that. And in the course of doing that for a number of weeks, he began to open up. And lo and behold, I discovered he was having real problems within his church. Really difficult times. And so I realized that he, it was a release for him just to be away from everything, to forget about everything for a while and just have a little bit of fun. It was a kind of a release for him. And that was fine. I didn't mind that. I didn't mind sharing with him and uh, trying to help in any way I could. And then he said to me, what about if we do it on Friday morning as well? And I wasn't too happy about that because I felt, well, once was, was plenty. But because I now, now knew his situation and I knew that he wanted to talk and he wanted to get his head shared, as we would say, from, from the trials of his ministry, I said, well, okay. And we did that for a few weeks. And then he came back and says, what are you doing on Wednesday? And I says, hold a wee minute. Hold it. I said, no, I didn't mind Monday morning. And I, I really didn't want to do it on Friday morning. But I said, I really can't do this. In fact, I says, I really can't do this anymore. I don't, not even Monday morning. Because I realized I had to pull the shutters down. Because what was a release to him became a pressure to me. Because things that I was always putting first for the kingdom, now that was taking a second place to help him. And that was becoming a pressure to me. And my first priority was the kingdom of God and what God had called me to do here. And that was taking up far too much of my time and far too much of my efforts. So I very nicely told him, and, and he, for the best part, he understood that. He realized that he was the one that was in trouble. And, uh, and we still, after that, we talked and we shared, but just over a cup of coffee, but not out in the golf course, because it was getting to him, and he was really just using that as an escape valve for his pressures. And you know what? I like playing golf. And the danger was that I could like that too much. And that it could have become a thing for me that became a whole distraction. So that had to stop, because my priority was and is the kingdom of God first. Now, you may have your hobbies. There's nothing wrong with hobbies. We all, I like photography. There's a whole bunch of boys in here who loves photography. And it's a bit of a hobby. But, but if that gets to the stage where that is encroaching on the kingdom of God, then it's got to go. That's just the way it is. It's just got to go. Nothing wrong with it. It's not sinful. 
but it becomes too much and it eats up all of your effort and energies that you could use for the kingdom of God. This is the most important thing. Is the Lord's day still the Lord's day to you? Or somehow has it lost its sense of priority? Only you can answer that. So it sounds a bit Old Testament, the Lord's day. Well, the Lord says, I'll give you six days. And in those six days, you can do all your labor and you can do everything you want. He says, just give me one. Give me one that you can come and corporately worship together. Is that too hard? Is that too much for him to ask? I don't think so. When you count up all the hours there is in a week, is it too much to ask that this day is his day for worship, for reading the word of God? Is that a big ask? I don't think so. But somehow or other in the Western world, the Lord's day isn't the Lord's day anymore. And it's become the Lord's half day or quarter day or once in a while day. Because we've got our families, we've got our friends, we got this, we got that, we got so many things. Say, so my friends come to visit, say, bring them to church. It's great to see you today. Thanks for coming. I ain't going to church. Would you love to join me? <laughs> you never know, they might. They might see your dedication to the house of the Lord. Are we employing the Lord's day to seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness or just simply become another day? We say, well, every day is a day with the Lord. Yes, that is true. That is right. But we don't get every day to corporately worship. Sure we don't. And that's why God has set this day aside. He says, use it for my glory. Use it for my glory. The purpose of our lives is different. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Jesus recognized the difference between the natural and the spiritual, between the outer life and the inner life, between that which is eternal and that which is temporal. He recognized the difference. Now, he agreed that both are necessary. He says, your heavenly Father knows that you have need of these things. So both are necessary. We live in a natural, physical, temporal world, but we're spiritual beings. But we can't separate ourselves. We've got to eat, we've got to sleep, we've got to work, we've got to do this, we've got to do it. We've got so many things. We have children to raise, we have responsibilities to carry out. We have all these things that he understands and knows not to deny those things, but realize not only is there a difference between the two, but there is the distance between the two. One is earthly, the other is heavenly. One is limited to this life only. The other is unlimited. It reaches far and beyond this present life. This life is a blink, isn't it? When you get a big birthday with a big fat knot at the end of it, it pulls you up short, doesn't it? And as I always said, if you look at your driving license from 10 years ago, your passport from 10 years ago, it's frightening, isn't it? And soon this life is over. 
So we've got to have a purpose in life. In fact, if we just read from verse 19, in fact, Matthew 6, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in the state. That doesn't mean, by the way, you shouldn't have any savings. Somebody's got some savings, that's all right. You've got a pension plan, that's all right too. Say, so David, what are savings? You're speaking a foreign language to me there. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moss and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The lamp of the body is the eye, of therefore your eye is good and your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon, or riches. Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or what you will drink, or about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Which of you by worrying can add one cubit to his stature? So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, they neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now if God so clothes the grass of the field which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Colossians in chapter 3. Verse 1. If you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth. For you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. If our minds is only filled continually with this life, we're missing something. We really are missing something. Because this is going to be the shortest period of your life in all of eternity. Literally, a blink a weaver shuttle, a breath, the Bible says. There's a bigger picture. 1 Corinthians 15. <clears throat> Talking about the resurrection. Verse 42 so also is the resurrection of the dead. The body is sown in corruption. It is raised in incorruption. It is sown in honor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. 
it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body and there is a spiritual body. And so it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. However, the spiritual is not first but the natural and afterwards the spiritual. The first man was of the earth, made of dust. The second man is the Lord from heaven. As man, as was the man of dust, so also those who are made of dust. That's us. And as is the heavenly man, so also are those who are heavenly. And as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly man. There's a natural life and there's a spiritual life. There's a material life and there's a spiritual life. There's a temporal life and there's eternal life. The purpose of our lives is different. We live in this world, but we're not of this world. We're not living for this world because we know this world is passing away. Daily, it's passing away. And we are passing away. You know, the other day I was driving through Achille and I decided just to stop off and see Sam and David and Angela's dear mother's grave. Got a beautiful new headstone that they've put on it there. And I was just standing there thinking about wee Mrs. Lappin, Granny Lappin, and how that she gave her life to the Lord those years ago. And how she lived to the grand old age of 90, what was it, Sam? 91. She made it into her 91st. And today she's in the glory. <laughs> Body has turned to dust, but she's in the glory. And that decision that she made all those years ago has now borne fruit. And all of us, unless the Lord comes, will pass by that way. But aren't you glad that you know Christ as your Savior today? And that you're a new creation in Christ and that you're ready. If he comes or calls that you're ready, that's the most important thing. The prosperity of our lives is different. And all these things shall be added unto you. All these things that the Gentiles seek, what are the things? Well, he told us, and they're pretty basic. But we seek them, don't we? What you shall eat, what you shall drink, what you shall wear. Could add on to that home that you live in, this day and age, maybe the car that you drive, all of these things that we find necessary to, to do our daily life in. And so, what is the difference between a Gentile with things and us with things? <laughs> you say, David, are we not Gentile? Yes, technically speaking, but you know what I mean here. Jesus is speaking here to Jews and the Gentiles, but we are believers. The Gentiles here represent unbelievers. What's the difference with their things and our things? The difference is we understand the perspective and the priority and the purpose of life. And when you understand that, then things become different. They're just part of the kingdom of God that we use for his glory. Proverbs 10, 22, the blessing of the Lord makes rich and he adds no sorrow with it. There's some people can handle things better than others. Isn't that true? There's people who has tons of things and it doesn't affect them. 
And there's other people, there's very few things and it affects them greatly. You just get one more thing and they're backslid. But the blessing of the Lord makes rich and he adds no sorrow with it. He gives us freely all these things to enjoy. And he's not niggardly or stingy either. He can and he will and does bless us. But we've got a priority. The promise of our lives is different. First Timothy 4 and 8, having promise of the life that now is and that which is to come. How can you beat that? Having promise of the life that now is. We have got the best life possible now and that which is to come. You cannot beat that, sure you can't. Living in this life for Christ, no matter what happens, even if the devil comes against us with all guns blazing, even through the toughest times, it's still far superior in Christ. Far, far better. And yet, we have even got a better life to come. She you cannot lose. She you can't. You can't lose. The difference of a life that's lived in Christ. Are you glad your life has lived in Christ today? It's wonderful to know him as Savior, isn't it? and Lord of your life, that he's first, that his kingdom's first, that everything we do, that our decisions, our choices, even our jobs and our careers, do we ever stop to think, if I do this, how will this bless the kingdom of God? Rather than how will this bless me first, how will this bless the kingdom of God? And when you do that, God will bless you. But when you, when you make sure that every choice, every major decision you make, you've prayed about it, you've thought about it, you say, God, how will this affect you? How will this affect your kingdom? How will this affect me in your kingdom? Because I want this to be right. And I want this to be a blessing. Not just to me, but to your kingdom. And when you do that, let me tell you, God will honor you and he'll bless you in ways that you never even imagined. And I have many, many people in this room today listening to me who could stand up and testify, who put God first in their lives and God has blessed them because of that. Amen? Let's pray.